If you've had a hard day wandering through the ghost land and you need a cold, refreshing beer and maybe a delicious burger, and it happens to be seven days a week from two to six, you should saunter in to the handlebar. That's right, my friend. If I'm not mistaken, you are referring to their happy hour, which is seven days a week from two to six, where you get a dollar off all of their amazing crafty drafty beers. They have 28 on tap. You get a dollar off. If you haven't been to the handlebar, they're located at 2070 East 20th Street on the south end of town right here in Chico. Go check them out. The Handlebar, a beer bar for the adventurer. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello, people of the internet and possibly the radio waves. Welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie show based in Chico, California. I'm Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Welcome again. Hello. This week on the show, we have our review of Prisoners of the Ghostland, a new film from director Cian Sono. It stars Nicolas Cage as a bank robber turned rescuer for hire who, after being squeezed into a death trap of a uniform, must make his way across the titular ghost land to find the granddaughter of his new employer and return her unharmed and unbesmirged. That's right. We have beers this week from Von Ebert Brewing out of Portland, Oregon. Our first beer is going to be a Vienna lager, and our second beer is a Northwest IPA. Yeah, if you happen to find yourself listening on the radio waves of KZFR 90.1 FM, all you are going to get to hear is our review of that first beer, that Vienna Lager, and the spoiler-free portion of our discussion of Into the Ghostland. But if you want to hear the rest of the conversation, plus more than 200 other full episodes of this show, dating all the way back to 2016, you can find them at any of the following locations. Yeah, we're basically anywhere podcasts are found, but you can check us out on Spotify or SoundCloud or maybe more predominantly Apple Podcasts. We drop new episodes every single Friday morning at 7 a.m., if you do like the show, feel free to leave us a five-star rating or a well-worded review. It helps people that maybe haven't heard of us discover our little podcast. That's it. If you want more of us, follow on social media. We're on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Untapped. And if you're not familiar with Letterboxd, that's where you can log movies and kind of keep track of what you've watched and yeah. rate them and write reviews. It's fun to follow along and see what we're watching. Because a lot of times it's more than just what we're recording about. We watch a lot of content. Right. So I know Max is really active on their writing reviews and stuff like that. So follow along there or Untapped, which is kind of the same idea exactly, but just for beer. Uh, you can follow all of that at Fresh Hop Cinema or our website, freshhopcinema.com. Yeah, one of my favorite things about Letterboxd and Untapped is that you can make lists of things that you want to watch or drink. Like when I'm just sitting at home on like a Thursday night, and I'm like, well, I don't know, like there's so many streaming services. It's like, well, what am I going to watch? Well, what if I put in my Letterboxd watch list and then I can check off from there? It's it's really lovely. So if you're into social media and you just want it streamlined for, for movies or beer, highly recommend both Letterboxd and Untapped. Um, and if you want to get in touch with us, maybe you've made a letterbox or an untapped and you want to be friends on those things, send us an email. Let us know you're on the internet. You can reach us at fhccast at gmail.com. Patreon.com slash Fresh Hop Cinema. That's where you can go to give us as little as a buck a week uh, and it helps keep the show going. And it also gets you access to fun bonus content that we crank out every week, access to parties, first run at merch. Uh, all kinds of fun, behind-the-velvet-rope type stuff for this podcast. So if you're interested and you like us and you want more of us, I'd say consider joining pod, uh, Patreon. 
Uh, for more bonus content, we do all kinds of fun lists, and we did a bonus review on a cider from Portland this week. That was fun. Kind of branched outside. That was fun. We don't ever do ciders, so it's really fun to just delve into something. We're not super, I mean, we drink them, but we don't ever talk about them critically. So totally. that was fun. Uh, if you are in Patreon, uh, here's something exciting. We're doing a movie night, October 1st. If you want to attend, you need to vote in the poll that's on Patreon and Facebook to reserve your spot, mm-hmm. because instead of renting out a whole movie theater, we are simply going to take a head count of people that want to show up and can firmly commit, and we're just going to buy tickets for everybody, yep. and we're going to crash a regular old theater with a bunch of our shenanigans and drink some beers have some fun, and watch a movie that is yet to be determined. So if that's not incentive enough to join Patreon, well, then you're hopeless. I yeah. don't know what to do for you. Which is also to say this isn't one of those I, – I don't know the last time we we all went to a theater together as, as a podcast event, but we have done some of these virtual sort of watch parties where we all press play on a movie at the exact same time and sort of message along uh, in Facebook Messenger. And that's always fun too. But this is, this is sort of I – I don't know if it's a bigger deal, but to me it feels – uh, more of a momentous occasion. I'm really looking forward to it. And we, we haven't even decided, my friend, what movie we are going to see, but I don't know that it matters. The fact that we're all going to be around and in, in person and watching a movie in an actual movie theater really, really gets my blood pumping. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, again, that's uh, patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema. You can join um, anywhere between a dollar to, to $10 each and every week. We, we appreciate the support no matter how much you give. And I think with that, my friend, let's jump into beer. You mentioned Von Ebert Brewing, this uh, this week, you have picked up these beers. I believe this is your second or third. Is it the second week in a row or third that you've brought beers back from your Portland trip? This is the second. This is the last of the Portland beers that we will be covering. So this is the the second week. This is the second round of beers that I picked up at Belmont Station right. in Portland. So yeah, Von Ebert Brewing out of Portland. Just a little bit of a background on them. Uh, Von Ebert is owned and operated by Tom Cook, Dennis January, Eric Simcoe, and Tom S. Cook. A quote from Tom S. Cook. Von Ebert Brewing was named after my great-grandmother Ebert. She was the guiding force to my immigrant family when they came over from Germany to the Uh United States in the early 1900s. The family name Von Ebert translates to the House of Ebert. As Ebert (laughs) roughly translates to Bohr in German, our theme was born. So they've been making beer up in Portland for some time now. They've got elevated pub fare. Uh, seems like a really cool tap room. I was unfortunately not able to get to their actual tap room this time, but I do want to get up there and go back. It was actually one of Portland's best breweries in 2021, uh, and it was on a list of Portland's 20 best breweries for 2020. Uh, so pretty, pretty well, uh, lauded sure. uh, nice. for a brewery. So I'm super stoked to try them out. This was also one of the managers or staff selections, uh, at Belmont Station, so it's kind of like the old school blockbuster, you know, oh, employee nice. pick. Yeah, right. They had a little thing that they stuck on the window for the employee picks. So yeah, I'm super stoked to try these, and the first of which is the Vienna style lager. Yeah, it is four. It, sorry to cut you off. It also this isn't in the notes, but I was looking at the website because what you were describing sounded so awesome. I wanted to see for myself, and they have a great website. And the one thing I didn't put in our notes for the beer you're about to describe is that it uh, took a gold medal at the 2020 Oregon Beer Awards. Uh, so yeah, Johnny, tell me about the Vienna lager. Vienna Lager, it's a 4.6% Vienna-style lager. Sure. Uh, And from their website, we read, Our take on a Vienna Lager is that of a beer rooted in harmonious balance, crisp but yet malt-forward with a subtle, noble hop note. A beautiful beer, much like the city it's named after. 
Fair enough. Yeah. In case anybody is curious and doesn't know, the Vienna Lager has been been around for a long time since since basically the early 1800s, um, and it was sort of this new time in beer making where they they used like pale malts and and combined it with all this new stuff because this dude named Anton Dreher went to uh, I believe it was England and Scotland with his buddy Gabriel Sedlmayr in that time, and they decided like we should try this new thing. It's when lagering became a thing. You got your dark lagers and your Vienna lagers and your pale lagers and all that stuff. Um, so it's a very old style. And, and in case you're like Vienna lager, like what have I, what have I had? I mean, like obviously Samuel Adams does a Boston lager, which I believe is a Vienna lager. Um, there's a brew called great lakes. They do one. Um, there's one from devil's backbone. Uh, Yangling is, I believe a traditional Vienna lager though. I could be wrong. And I'm pretty sure Dos Equis does one as well. So it's a pretty, uh, widely made style and one that came back into popularity because of sort of the craft beer boom of the last, uh, I don't know, 50 years. 40 years. Yeah. And you're seeing more and more lagers and pilsners just because right. that's been the way that craft beer has been trending over the last probably 24 months. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that's the little bit of a background. I've poured it, I've smelled it, and I've tried it. Uh, have you done any of those things? No, I was doing my best to sound educated on the style itself. In case anybody wants to read more, I was reading off of Wikipedia. I hate to tip my hand, but I do feel like there's a lot to be learned. Um, so I have poured mine. I haven't tried it yet. I'm also drinking mine out of a stein, which feels very appropriate. What do you what do you pour yours into today? Uh, yeah, I'm rocking a mason jar. That's nice. my go-to tasting glass. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I love mason jars. I love drinking out of them. They make me feel nice. So you don't like spill. It, man. You don't spill on yourself with those. I feel like the lip is 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 wide enough to the point that I almost always have like at least a drop that doesn't make it back into the glass or into my mouth. You gotta just try harder. Is that It'll what grow it is? A beard. Maybe right. that's why. No, I have a beard. That's the problem. I'll just grow it longer then. It'll be fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I really enjoy this beer. It pours, you know, like a beautiful, rich, dark yellow. It's super light. It drinks just amazingly smooth. It's got some notes, a little bit of breadiness, but it's got, you know, just enough hops to make it feel there. Doesn't run the show, but neither does the malt. The malt doesn't get cloying or take over. I mean, all the ingredients are really well balanced. And also this beer is just massively crushable. Yeah, I agree with you mostly. I think that the thing that does shine through the most to me, though, in a lot of Vienna lagers and to some extent, just just German style lagers in general, um, are those sweet malty notes and, and more so in something like a Vienna for sure. Like there's that there's that kind of caramel or toffee sort of sweetness. It's almost like a toasty toasted kind of sweetness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and if you are sensitive to that flavor, I would imagine this probably a, isn't your favorite style and B this beer won't be winning you over because it is along the lines of a traditional Vienna lager in, at least based on my first drink. Um, it is not along the lines of a traditional Vienna lager. No, it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's very, I was going to say like, man, no, this is very true yeah, to form. Right. This yes. is spot on. I mean, especially we're drinking this on officially the second day of fall. Are we this really? feels like a, a very official segue into like Oktoberfest season. Totally. Uh, to be busting out a traditional German style, you know, Vienna, which is in, Vienna's in Austria, right? Yep. So they can't call this a German style lager. This is an Austrian lager. Okay. I uh, do. Fair enough. Those do seem interchangeable sometimes when it comes to beer styles, but you're right. Fair enough. But either way, this is super spot on to the tradition that this beer has probably tasted like for a really long time. I. I want to drink it out of a stein with thousands of my drunk best friends. Sure. Like 
this really takes me back to being at, I've never been to a real like Oktoberfest in Europe. It's on my sure. bucket list to go to Oktoberfest in Germany. But I mean, the closest I've come is going to Sierra Nevada's Oktoberfest. And that was an absolute hell of a party. And just drinking steins of beer. This feels like a celebration of the season. It feels like community. It feels like this beer is best shared with friends in like a loud, boisterous, fun environment. It makes me want to just have a good time. Like this is a beer to party and have fellowship with some friends and maybe share some beer pretzels. Like it just yeah. puts me in a really festive mood. I am all about this beer. Yeah, man, I think it's really good actually. And and the stein that I'm drinking it out of is actually the Oktoberfest stein from this one is 2016, which I think, I think, I don't know why I have this. I think I went in 2017, but maybe it was 2016, <laughs> man, that was a while ago. Um, Oktoberfests have a tendency to get a little blurry. <laughs> Fair enough. But they're also like, and maybe this is to, to that point, they are, it's a really good, I think, representation of what an Oktoberfest can be. Again, I haven't been to one out of the country either, but Sierra Nevada does a good job. It, it's always a really well curated event and it feels, at least from my American perspective, true to what the, the traditional events might be like. Yeah, just like a scaled down little version, but big, definitely. It feels like that. Just, it's a party. It's fun. I remember from my experiences at Oktoberfest here in Chico that it was just, it was such a good time. It was yeah. a lot of positive energy. Like, Everyone was out there just to have a blast. And uh, this this beer takes me right back to that, you know, wood chips and sawdust under my feet. So yeah. Somebody, you know, just <laughs> chanting songs and just sure. drunkenly hugging each other. I mean, it's just, it puts me in a really fun headspace. And I would definitely buy more of this if it was around. This is a great fall beer. Absolutely fantastic for the season. Super crushable and superb representation of the style. Yeah, man, I super agree, though. I, I'm cautious to not put the um, nostalgia horse in front of the critical carriage, so to speak. So I do kind of want to dive back in and and be a little bit more nitpicky because there is like it is pretty sweet. And a lot of that is that kind of caramely sort of taste, I think, more than it probably needs to be. I really like the way it finishes. It's very clean. It's got a really, you know, like fairly carbonated mouthfeel and, and it ends pretty smooth. But there is just like kind of this this remaining sweetness that I'm not wild about for something, especially, um, at this ABV level. You know, I think that's just Vienna lagers, man. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I mean the darker like lagers are kind of like that. I mean, this isn't a dark lager, but like the darker yellow lagers, like a Vienna lager is I've heard it. I mean, it can be interchanged with like a Mexican style lager. Um, they have a really similar malt profile. And they do have a little bit of sweetness. I don't think that should be something that detracts from this beer. No, I know. Also, I'm fine with a little bit of sweetness, but it's the it's the type of sweetness. It's it's the toffee sort of the toffee taste that I'm getting. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just think typically Vienna should have less of that and more of um, sort of the, the toasted bready kind of stuff. B R E A D Y bready stuff that you get from other other loggers, and it's just it's just skewing sweet for me. Well, it's not other lagers, Max. It's a Vienna lager. <laughs> I know. That's what I mean. <laughs> so you just wish this beer was a different beer? No, I don't. I think traditionally Vienna lager should not have that really cloying caramel toffee flavor. See, all the ones I've had kind of had that, though. Kind of is fine. This one seems extreme. This one just... Now, how much of that do you think might be sweetness in your mouth from the Concord grape cider that we reviewed before we recorded this episode? I can't totally say it's not 
that though I would I would guess that if anything that cider would have made me uh, less sensitive to sweetness. This is certainly not as sweet as that was. So the fact that mm. the sweetness is still overpowering after that might be even more to your point, or the opposite, that, of your point, rather. That actually make that makes sense. Yeah, Interesting. Like, yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm not suggesting it's a bad beer. I am just trying to be a little bit more critical of it because it is easy to get swept up in the in the you know in the in the memories of Oktoberfest and and the time of year that this evokes and all that sort of stuff. So I do like it quite a bit. It's not a perfect beer. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, I like it quite a bit as well. I think this is a big thumbs up for me. This is definitely a win and I'm happy that I snagged it. Okay, let's give it a rating. Vienna Lager from Von Ebert Brewing. Oh, this is a damn good beer. This is uh This is a 9-1. 9.1 best rating you've had in m- many a week if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that might be contributing to such a high rating that we've just had maybe not the best most enjoyable that like having something that's above average and outstanding is just like, it's just making it rise to my rating scale sure, faster. Sure. It's hard to say, but <laughs> I really like this beer. Yeah. It, I, for me, I love the flavor profile. I think it lines up perfectly with what I want out of this beer. And when the taste uh, shakes hands with your expectations and they get along, I think that is a, a match made in heaven and it's a beer that should rate pretty high. So Max, what do you give Von Ebert's Vienna Lager? It's drinkable. I drink it again. It's it's a bit sweet for me, especially in those flavors that I described. So for me, it's a solid seven. I would definitely have it again if it were available in Chico, which I don't believe it is. I'd probably pick it up if I were craving a Vienna Lager, which is one of those beers that I don't often crave, but that could be just a lack of exposure in, in this area. So hard to say, but for me, it's a seven. For you, it's a 9.1. You got anything yep. else on this beer? Um, no, I don't. I think I said all of it, man. I think this is a great time of year to experiment with different styles of loggers because everyone is releasing their Oktoberfest right now. Yeah. And they are all a variation of a logger in one form or another. So uh do yourself a favor and go try, you know, five or six different Oktoberfests and see how they compare and contrast and and formulate some opinions because it's fun. It's fun to try different styles like in the same category. So try some Oktoberfest. That's the takeaway here. Couldn't agree more. All right. Well, once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema on KZFR 90.1 FM. If you get a chance to try Vienna Lager from Von Ebert, or quite frankly, any other Vienna Lager, we want to know what you think. Please reach out. Yeah, again, you can email us at fhccast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema, or if you're feeling angelic, you can leave us a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, we're going to play you a trailer for a new film called Prisoners of the Ghost Land. If you haven't seen it, we're not going to spoil it yet, so don't you worry. We'll be right back after this. My granddaughter has been lost to us. I would have her return to me post-haste. And you, sir, I am told, are the man to do the job. Each arm is equipped with an explosive device. Your trousers are also equipped with explosives. (laughs) Really? Just beyond the point where we now stand lies a highway where evil reigns. What is this? At the end of five days, if you have not returned with Benice, well, I think you get the idea, son. Godspeed. 
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, a show about the worlds of craft beer and film colliding. You might be listening on KZFR 90.1 FM, in which case, if you want to hear the podcast version of this show, you can subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema on Apple Podcasts or really wherever you listen to podcasts. Hear the entire discussion. New episodes drop every Friday morning at 7 a.m. Johnny, for people just joining us, tell them what they've just heard. You just heard a trailer for Prisoners of the Ghostland. In the treacherous frontier city of Samurai Town, a ruthless bank robber gets sprung from jail by a wealthy warlord whose adopted granddaughter has gone missing. He offers the prisoner his freedom in exchange for retrieving the runaway. Strapped into a black leather suit that will self-destruct in five days, the bandit sets off on a journey to find the young woman and his own path to redemption. Yeah, this is directed by Cian Sono with a screenplay by Aaron Hendry. And I hope they get this right. Reza, Sikso Safai, even if I don't get it right. Man, what a great name. As we said at the top of the show, this stars Nicolas Cage, whose character is only listed as hero. Johnny, what, what's his deal? Yeah, so he is the bank robber that we were just hearing about in the synopsis, who give is, is given a path at freedom slash redemption in exchange for a task of retrieving the runaway. So that's that's his character. He's like a uh, bank robber, fallen from grace, jailed, given a chance at redemption. Next, we have Sophia Butella, who played Bernice. Yeah, she is is the grand or the adopted granddaughter that was mentioned. She was. Um, it's unclear to me. We can get into the plot here, but she was living a not great life. She tries to escape. And then she does, ends up getting trapped up in, in the ghost land, and then, and then she is the one that Hero is supposed to go and track down, and he was hired by Bill Mosley's character, the governor. Yes, and if you are not familiar with Bill Mosley, he is one of the most uh, famous, infamous like B-movie horror sure. actors okay. of our generation. You will know him from Texas Chainsaw Massacre fame, mm. in which he played the character Chop Top, and then... He's also been made more relevant in recent years, well, recent from like my high school era on, by one Mr. Rob Zombie, where he introduced him as Otis Driftwood in the movie House of a Thousand Corpses and subsequently in The Devil's Rejects and so on and so forth. And he plays the governor uh, and he is, man, he's good at a monologue. Sometimes they're wild, (laughs) wacky, crazy. They don't make sense, but... Anytime Bill Mosley is giving a monologue in like a B-movie type situation, I am 100% here for it. And his pedigree in this kind of almost genre of movie, I wouldn't call this quite a horror, um, mm-hmm. but his pedigree in this type of like offshoot, off-brand movie really brought some credibility to it for me as well as Nick Cage, Nick Caging everywhere. So that's Bill Moselli. And then fourth, we have a character by the name of Psycho, played by Nick Cassavetes. Yeah, I won't spoil too much of who that character is, but suffice to say he is partners with Nick Cage's character in the beginning where this bank robbery happens and it kind of goes wrong. And we've talked about the sort of loose cannon character before on this show. He's got that vibe, and he and he ends up murdering some people that were totally just innocent bystanders, and, and that's kind of, you know, alluded to, and then we learn more about it. But he's, for sake of just basic and not spoiling this discussion, he was Nick Cage's accomplice kind of in this bank robbery that kind of goes wrong. Yeah. Um, Johnny Summers, when did this come out? Yeah, so this was released uh, Sundance Festival, January of this year, 2021. Mm-hmm. It hit theaters and video on demand on September 17th. It runs an hour, 43 minutes. Yeah. So let's get into it. We pivoted last minute. I, or no, we, did we have this one planned, my friend? We had this, uh, this Prisoners of the Ghost Land? 
Yeah, this okay. has been planned. So I think I told you about this, and I was really excited because I've we've both been Nick Cage fans for for a bit now. We've both really advocated for his newer stuff. We feel like he's fallen into sort of the exact perfect, fully evolved version of Nicolas Cage. We just, one of us, actually me, reviewed Pig, which is I think his latest prior to this. So we mm-hmm. were both excited for Prisoners of the Ghostland. You saw it yesterday, I believe at home. Is that right? Yes. Okay. What did you think? Well, I went in relatively blind. I had read about two sentences of the synopsis, but hadn't seen a trailer. Uh, so I was as relatively blind and I was just expecting low, ex- low expectations. Just see what happens. Uh, what I was encountered with was something between, uh, let's say if like Quentin Tarantino and Rob Zombie had a baby and then spoon fed it like a bunch of other abstract concepts. Okay. And we have this movie that is a direct homage to things like the evil dead Two, mad max, uh, so many other like vampy just B movies. Um, and in this story and also huge, huge vibes of the Holy mountain for me in the first, oh, yeah. first act of this movie, uh, which I believe you still need to watch. Yes? I do. I do. But I know okay. I've looked um, it up. We talked about it recently. You told me to watch it. So I know kind of what you mean. Yes. So huge vibes and influence from that. And then we have Nicholas Cage doing his best impression of a black leather clad Bruce Campbell a la Evil Dead 2. Mm. And this whole thing is so out there and left field. I mean, we're dealing with a post-apocalyptic uh, Western samurai vibe set in samurai towns, supposedly somewhere in Japan. Right. So in and of itself, it is outlandish. And then you've got these over-the-top characters doing over-the-top, ridiculous, laughable things. This movie makes you wonder, is it so smart that it's dumbing it down to get some of these metaphors across? Because believe it or not, this movie is steeped in metaphor and symbolism. Or is this movie so dumb you want to think it's smart so you don't just think it's dumb? (laughs) I think that this movie... is so smart that it's kind of dumb. I really do feel that this almost comic book distills down these meta concept in these overarching metaphors and symbolism for life and oppression and human trafficking and, you know, sexual abuse. And there's these heavy, heavy topics that are approached in this very alternative dystopian cartoonish landscape that really is somewhere between a Western, a samurai movie and Mad Max. I mean, it is such a wild mashup of styles and such a reflection of its influence that, yeah, I feel like it was a a pretty smart movie that dumbed down some of its concepts um, for some reason, maybe just to get them across to a more widespread audience. I don't know because you didn't really have to think too hard, but when you did, And when you looked for a little bit more metaphor and a little bit more depth, a lot of the things that were happening were way more of a uh, testament and kind of a commentary on on life and much bigger things. So I think this movie was interesting and it had interesting ideas and points to get across. And it was wrapped up in this really ridiculous technicolor, crazy costume over the top package Um, But overall, I think I really liked it. 
I enjoyed watching it, and I thought it was a pretty fun movie. I don't know if it was a good movie, but I liked what it did, and all I can say is I walked away thinking I really liked that. I'm glad you did. I think you made some interesting points, which I will do my best to refute because I thought this movie was a mess and I really did not like it. And I don't know exactly when I realized I didn't like it because to some extent I am sort of like, all right, Nick Cage and whatever team of people you're working with, do whatever you're going to do to my brain. I'm here for the ride. So, so it certainly wasn't immediately, which is not to say this movie doesn't immediately get weird because it super does. It's a very strange movie. You're you're on you're definitely right when you're like Mad Max and like post-apocalyptic stuff and, and Evil Dead 2. And I think all that's correct. My thing with that is that it doesn't feel super original. Like it is so evocative of these other movies that it just ends up feeling derivative. And and I think the point where it could have made a difference with that is in the themes you're talking about. Like it's it of course it touches on like human trafficking and to some extent capitalism, all sorts of these other things that it hints at, but it just doesn't go anywhere with those themes, if you ask me. Um my one saving grace in all of this could have been Nick Cage because I'm here for his wackiness. Like he, he usually elevates to some extent the material he's given or, or at the very least, you know, receives that material and then adapts himself or contorts himself into this character that will be believable in that setting. And he does that here. It just happens in my opinion to not serve too much aside from the spectacle of what he's been given. And I just had a hard time, man. I, 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 it felt arduous and long, like an hour 43 isn't a terribly long movie, but it just seems so boring to me too. Like there's a couple, like there's some laughable moments and there's some cool visuals. I think there's a certain uh, bubblegum machine that explodes that I think that was smart cinematography and the way, like what that could suggest about the characters mentality was good and interesting, but it just, I don't think most of it meant anything by the end of it, which of course we can't talk about now, which is also to say, since we're going to be running short on time for our radio listeners, I vote we give prisoners of the ghost land a rating and then jump into spoilers in the danger zone after that. What do you think? I'm in man. For me, this was an 8.1. I think you should watch it. I think you young Maxwell should watch it again. Okay. Because I feel like in its kind of idiotic packaging, there is a lot more depth and symbolism than is apparent So I think it's worth another watch. I'd recommend it. I enjoyed it. 8.1. All right. For me, it's a four. I'm always open to the idea of reading a movie wrong. And I'm happy, especially when it's the opinion of someone whose cinematic taste I trust, such as yourself, suggests that I need to rewatch something. So I will make it a point. We can dissect what we disagree on in the danger zone. But for now, it's an 8.1 for you. It's a four for me. Johnny Summers, take us out of here. Once again, you've been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema on KZFR 90.1 FM. Prisoners of the Ghostland is on video on demand and in select theaters now. If you get a chance to see it and have thoughts of your own, please reach out, find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema, or send an email to us at fhccast at gmail.com. Or head to our website, freshhopcinema.com, for film reviews, beer reviews, and podcast episodes dating all the way back to 2016. To our KZFR listeners, the full-length version of today's conversation with spoilers, a second beer review, plus Hot and Bothered will be available tomorrow morning, Friday, at 7 a.m., wherever great quality podcasts are found. And all of our podcast listeners will be right back to talk spoilers and who's right and who's wrong in the Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Everybody, welcome to the Danger Zone. This is the part of the podcast, now exclusively the podcast, uh, where we 
talk about spoilers. We talk about Prisoners of the Ghostland as if everybody has already seen it or doesn't care to see it. At this juncture, I would convince people not to see it. Johnny will convince people to see it, and hopefully we uh, we figure out why. Let's. I'd like to hear your thoughts, man. Let's. Where we left off before the danger zone is we just gave our initial thoughts. So let's go from there. I feel like we we uh, went long on the beer with the history of Vienna loggers. So we didn't get to say as much as we normally would about the film, sort of just setting the scene. So uh, just, well, you know, let's just maybe, I guess maybe we just keep talking about the movie. Yeah. I mean, that's fair too, to maybe cut that short a little bit in the first segment, because it's kind of hard to talk about this movie without spoiling the plot. Yeah. Um, and you might argue that maybe it's, doesn't matter and it's not worth spoiling but uh yeah so we'll get into it now i really did like this movie okay. and i'm gonna definitely be watching it again and i'm curious to see your take on a second watch uh because yeah i don't know what are your thoughts on movies that do get into like uh, i don't know i don't want to say bad movie but like it, you know b movies with like really good themes and i think there were some interesting commentaries on the bigger things and i think they did go somewhere and that like the whole third act of this movie was about like liberation and, you know, being free. And then like you had this whole subset of the population being held captive by these ghosts. Yeah. And at one point they were literally trying to hold back the hands of time, which seemed like not only relevant, but also a big, almost an homage to like the Peter Pan concept. Cause mm. a lot of those dudes felt like lost boys. And also the way the clock fell at the end felt very hooked to me. Oh yeah, you know I hadn't put that together, but that's a really good point. I like the I like the idea of that. And whereas Peter Pan is totally like, I mean, it's a loss of innocence, but different. Obviously, the themes in this movie are a bit more, for lack of a better term, grown up. Like, um, so that's yeah, like that's that's a nice a nice theme and a nice metaphor, though an obvious one. Um, yeah, it's you know I I agree. The third act is is. It, it works and it doesn't. There's parts that, that do work. I, I was, I think, not checked out in terms of what I was paying attention to, but like emotionally sort of checked out by the weird kind of rapey scene that happened. And mm. I, like, I don't like the concept of Nick Cage being strapped into a leather suit with strategically placed explosives near his arms and his testicles. Wacky, very Nick Cage, fine. But and his throat? And his throat, sure. Um, I, I don't know. It just, it didn't, none of it felt right. I don't know how else to describe it yet. Maybe I'll come up with better words as we talk about this, but it just didn't work. Mm, interesting. I know it's not very helpful to talk about. Just, There's not much to give you to go off of there, but it's how I feel. All right. Uh, well, like, why didn't it work? Is it just because you feel like the didn't go anywhere? Like, because for me, it was pretty obvious early on that this was going to be like a savior story arc. Sure. You know, yeah, with, like a, with Nick Cage as being the, yeah, the, the knight in shining figure. armor. Yeah. Or black leather is the case. Maybe <laughs> right. Knight uh, shining leather. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I thought that it went as far as it needed to. I feel like it really circled back on the themes, you know, and I don't know. See, that's the thing. There's that whole debate, which, I mean, I'm not fully convinced either way on my own, the thing that I proposed. Like, I feel like it's smart in a dumb way because I it just felt like that to me. But if I rewatch this and I might completely change my mind and say this is dumb or this is trying to be smart but in a dumb way, but it's neither. You know what I mean? Yeah, I actually um, ran out of time. I meant to touch on that when you said it earlier. Um, 
Yeah, like that. Of course, that's a great question to ask in a movie like this. Something that is so abstract and and potentially open to interpretation. It's like, am I too dumb for this, or is it too dumb for me? And I'm trying to give it too much credit. And, yeah, because we're always trying to look for meanings in things, and like, what does this symbolize? And and sometimes it symbolizes jack shit. Totally, and and maybe predictably, that's where I'm coming down with this one. Is like, and, and this is kind of the gray area I've been trying to figure out. Is like, I don't know when that occurred to me, but I think it was the point that his testicle blew up. And, yeah. and, and I think that might be the turning point in the movie for, for an audience member. It's like, if you can get past that and sort of still be focused on any metaphorical thematic conclusions you've drawn up to that point, and, and that doesn't deter from that. Great. I hadn't, con- I hadn't committed to those themes. I, at this point I was like, this is just gonna be a wild, a wild ride. So, and then it got wilder. And at that point, I also sort of like stopped liking him as a character. Like you kind of need a redemption arc for this character. He's, he's a bank robber who has at the very least been an accomplice to some pretty horrible stuff. And his actions throughout the course of this movie do not redeem him much. Well, I think that's kind of the, the point of a redemption arc. I mean, you have to see some of the things that you need redeeming from to have the arc of redemption, right? Yeah, but not so, during not during that arc. You hope that that you've put all that stuff oh, in your path. And this movie uses flashbacks all the time. They could have put a kind of rapey scene in 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 the back there, but like also it kind of grossed me out. Like his his weird <laughs> was like, what does he say when he's like trying to he's like looking at her cleavage or something? He was like, take it off. Yeah, like take it off for daddy off. or something. It's like, Ugh. I don't know. It was gross. Um but I want to touch back around to your to your point here that you started with, which was like the, the B movie vibe. Like I can't. Remember. How did you phrase your question exactly? I don't remember what question it, it was, was. It was something about B movies, um, maybe being vessels for like delivering themes or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. So like, is it harder? I mean, I don't know. The question I'm thinking of now is like, is it harder to wrap your head around good metaphor if it's wrapped up ah, in an idiotic package? Right, right. That okay, kind of thing. So what I jotted down while you were saying that is malignant, which. Totally, which was, if you haven't heard, by the way, it's last week's episode, we covered it, it's a horror movie, go listen, is at least in style, absolutely a tribute to B-movies, B-horror movies from like the 80s. And that one, I went into like, let's be great, let's see what it has to say. And then I kind of checked out for a minute, but then that movie managed to bring, brought me back in at least like, oh, it actually is saying some cool stuff and it delivers it in a wacky package, a wackage, but- it worked. So no, I don't think because a movie is dressed up as a B movie, it necessarily is going to have a harder time delivering its themes. If those themes are there to be delivered, I am there to open and sign for them. I just don't think this had it for me, man, for me. I mean, it seemed it's surprising to hear you say that. Cause I felt like the themes were just right there. Like they were so there, they were on the nose punching you in the face. No, I'm not saying they weren't there. It's just like they just didn't work for me. Like it was, I don't know if it was because they were too obvious or because I didn't, I didn't buy the story in which they were delivered or the characters or whatever it might've been. Um, or the fact that I was bored in the movie and and just not mm. invested. Like it could be any number of factors. Like I'm not saying it didn't have the themes. I'm saying the themes might be more difficult to receive depending on the construct of the given B movie. Yeah. Because this package wasn't just B-movie, I mean, let's be real. It was pretty laughable. It was a very, like, silly, almost slapstick, over-the-top at times package. So I could see how that would potentially, like, take you out of it mentally. Yeah, and, yeah, so so maybe it is just a personal thing. Maybe it's a personal taste where, like, 
if you can saddle up for that sort of goofiness, then you'll be all right. And maybe it's just because yeah. I can't, I so I didn't, but I, I don't know. I, I will watch it again. I'll give it another go. Um, but I still, I don't know, man. It's, it seems to me like it's, it was a, it was a miss pretty bad. I mean, that's fair. That's, it's always fun to have conversations when one of us likes it and yeah. the other one doesn't. Yeah. I also think Nick Cage wasn't his best. I happen to think pig was his best. So, and this is many, many notches down in the, uh, acting ladder. I think he's good at doing the over the top thing, but it was really nice to see him do some, some, it sounds so pretentious, but like in quotes, like real acting, you know, in pig, like there was an emotional arc and here. It just seems like he's flooring it the entire time and like getting crazier and crazy. Like the bigger he can make his eyes, the better the character is going to be. And it just, it didn't have that effect on me. So I want you to do a, a side by side of this movie in your mind with Willie's Wonderland. I was actually just thinking about that when you were speaking in the first section of this. Um, I, I didn't better, like, I didn't better, like Willie's Wonderland for what it's worth. I thought it was okay. okay. I liked it more than this. Um, I believe that I ended up putting in my letterbox, like it's about the furthest version of that insane Nick Cage that I can stomach. Mm -hmm. But that movie I think was bad and and moreover, didn't have anything to say really. Like it was just a fun little jaunt, which actually might be to its credit because I think I'm sort of deducting points now in this movie for trying to be more heady than it needed to be. And, and at least with Willie's Wonderland, it was like, fuck it. We're sticking Nick Cage in a, in a Chuck E. Cheese all night and having to beat the shit out of animatronic monsters. Like that's whatever. That's fine. I can watch that. I can have a few beers and enjoy it and not overthink it. And the more I tried to overthink this movie, the more it pissed me off. Kind of interesting. So it's starting to feel like this is a situation where you're smarter than the movie and it's frustrating. It's not just that it's, it's like you ever, you ever run into a friend and you've had a tough day and you really want to vent to that friend. And then you realize about one minute into speaking and that friend is drunk. Mm, yes. It's like, I needed some, I thought I could get something better from this. Like I thought you could be there for me and you're just, yeah. you're plastered and it's not necessarily your fault. It's probably me being the idiot for assuming that you wouldn't be a drunken B movie. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it's that I'm smarter than it. It's just that I was hoping. And maybe that's because of pig or because of uh, any number of other factors that it just wasn't that interesting. Okay. So prisoners of the ghost land, the movie equivalent of a drunk best friend that you need (laughs) when you need validation and your friends are all drunk. Yeah. You need your friend to be there for you and hear you out. And then you show up, like, Hey, can I talk to you? Like take a shot. And it's like, I don't, yeah, I needed you to be there for me. Woo. Tequila. Yeah. And it's just, it's, you know, whatever, just maybe it's an expectation problem, I guess. Kind of. Well, I, I mean, deep down inside, we all want every movie to be amazingly acted and just like a gem. Like that's kind of the whole point we started doing this is like we're hunting for gems and like every once in a while we find one and there's always that hope. And sometimes maybe just because of Pig, you're coming off of some high expectations as to where Nick Cage is in his acting career. Yeah. That like you wanted more out of this movie than it was giving or you wanted it to be different and more serious and it just didn't live up to your expectations, it sounds like. Yeah, I would also make the case that it's it's not I, I don't I can't put my finger on the difference. Mandy, another Nick Cage film, which is arguably just as insane and over the top, if not more so, mm-hmm. still worked way better for me. Mandy was so fucking good. So fucking good. And I think part of that, and maybe this is a common theme for me in in watching movies, is I do really want to care about my main characters. 
And in Mandy, you have this beautiful revenge story and you really understand why like you have to deal with some brutal shit in that movie to get to that point. But I just, there wasn't enough here for me to invest in this care in the hero character. Like, so I'm, I'm almost kind of shooting myself in the foot from the get go in a sense. Yeah. Well, and from what I know about your taste, you're definitely more of a fan of abstract movies when they are leaning towards the serious side, like yeah, a Mandy sure. or a lighthouse. Cause the lighthouse had tons of metaphor and tons of deep meaning, but it was also just a weird fucking insane package totally. to try and watch. Totally. Whereas this is a weird, insane package to watch, but it's more silly than it is like yeah. dark and yeah. serious. So I think that that comes down to kind of it being just a matter of taste in how we want our weird packages. Yeah, maybe. That's totally valid. So for me, this movie really walked the line between uh, homage and derivative. Yes. It got so close to being derivative, and it really, I think, it, it lined up. It was right at the top when he showed up with the one hand with the sword on it. Because yeah. it's like you are just this is Nick Cage doing Bruce Campbell. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't know that uh, performance that you keep referencing. Was you said that he was Evil Dead too? Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've seen that movie. Was that Sam Raimi also, or was that just the first yes. one? Okay. Yeah. Um. Do you think I would like Evil Dead too? Fuck yeah! Everyone likes Evil Dead too. Okay, but this is so Evil Dead two much better than this. A hundred percent. Evil Dead two is one of the best horror movies of all time. But it's also like a satire. Am I wrong? No, it's a higher budget remake of Evil Dead One, and oh, it, it is? is definitely like in the. I mean, I don't know if this is how it was received because I was very young or not born when it came out. Okay, but yeah, it came out in eighty one. It is. It yeah, I was six. Oh, years I'm sorry, eighty seven, eighty seven, eighty seven. Okay, that's the year I was born. Okay, I'm yeah. the same age as Evil Dead Two, which is badass. Um, sure. It it definitely falls into the horror comedy genre. Okay. But still, like a lot of horror. But yeah, it's it's listed as a sure supernatural black it's, comedy horror film. Yeah, it's fucking epic. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I was reading something about this probably when we were when I was doing research for Malignant last week. Um, yeah, I'll check it out, man. That seems like something I should have under my belt for sure. Yeah, you should watch Evil Dead One and Two because Evil Dead One was basically made with five dollars. Okay. And so Sam Raimi got to basically redo it with everything he wanted, and it was way more true to his original vision. But both are 100% worth watching just because they laid the groundwork for pretty much an entire genre or a generation of a genre, Okay, safe to say. Fun fact, Evil Dead 1 was made with 375,000. Yeah. Uh, and Evil Dead <laughs> 2 was made with 3.5 million. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, almost a, a lot more. A lot more. Yeah. That's like just above like a college thesis movie versus like an actual movie budget. Yeah. Yeah. And most of that so. comes from like, I don't know if you saw the thing I sent you about Edgar Wright and his first movie, but like a lot of those, especially like, and Sam Raimi's like, let's see, he's uh, born in sometime. I'm not going to bother. But when, when a lot of these filmmakers that start off as like just passionate kids start off with their movies, it's like, can I get some funding from my local like government or, or a library or something. So yeah, they, they deal with obviously truncated budgets quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we should wrap up this conversation yeah, about this movie and horror in general with, uh, by Halloween, I would love it. If you've mm. watched evil dead one or two, 
I'd be down to come over or like you come over. We have a movie day. We watch, we just go hog wild on Sam Raimi and okay. get some snacks. Can we end with Spider-Man? Yeah. Okay. Let me just, I'm actually writing it on paper. So, you know, it's going to be real evil dead one and two. Okay. You got it, my friend. I got it. I will do that by Halloween. Okay. That'd be so fun. I would love to watch evil dead one and two with you. Yeah, let's do it. I'm I'm happy to do that. That sounds great. We'll get a we'll get a case of beer and some pizza. It'll be wild. Okay, deal. Case of beer and a quesadilla. Oh, the two oh, best cases you're in life. my language <laughs> and some guacamole. All right, let's get to our second beer. But first, we have to go fetch it from our refrigerators. So Max, play a cool noise while we do that. Okay, fun sound done. We're back here with beer number two, Johnny Summers. You have picked this one out as well. I'm assuming you picked this up at Belmont Station. Yup, this was another one of the uh, celebrity picks. No, it was uh, an employee pick at Belmont Station. Oh, cool. So second second beer is Volatile Substance. They were hyped on it, so I feel like I should be hyped on it because those dudes up at Belmont Station know their beer. Yeah. So we are dealing with a Northwest IPA with Mosaic and Simcoe hops that is 6.9% in ABV. Now, Max, we know what West Coast IPAs are. I need you to shed some light on, more specifically, what a Northwest IPA is, and where does that fall in the realm of West Coast IPAs? Yeah, to my understanding, this isn't an an official classification, though many prominent brewers in the Northwest region of America, that's that's sort of your, I don't know, what would you think, like like Southern Oregon to Seattle sort of area? Yeah, the Pacific Northwest is Oregon, Washington. Okay, great. Um, They seem to make the case, and there's an article here that if anybody wants, you can reach out and I'll let you know. It's on beerandbrewing.com. Um, and there's, I think they interviewed about five, it looks like five different brewers in the area. And I'll just read you some of the quotes. And the first one comes from James McDermott from Fremont Brewing in Seattle. If you've never had Fremont stuff, it's very good. I've, have you been to Fremont Brewing? I have not. I went once. It was great. It was a, a lovely little stop. It's not too far out of the way. And they have a lot of beers available. Great spot. Nice. Um, and James McDermott says this. The classic, and this is all in quotes, Northwest IPA fits very well into the American style IPA category and focuses on American hops characteristics like big juicy citrus and the aroma and flavor that's often balanced by some sweet caramel malt character. But <clears throat> for their IPA, we try to make for our IPA, we try to maintain some malt sweetness and keep the beer from being too bracingly bitter and keep the beer more balanced while focusing on Northwest hops, aroma, and flavor as much as we can. I think that's sort of the uh, the big takeaway is that when I think of traditional West Coast IPAs, and I bet you do too, the the predominant flavor descriptor I think people use is probably bitterness. It's hot bitterness. Bitter and light. Bitter and light. Um, Josh Frame, the owner of, of Frame, um, says of Northwest IPAs, they're hazy and aromatic with an assertive bitterness, while the West Coast IPA is lighter in body, Johnny, like you said, and brighter and puts a huge emphasis on aromatic hops. Um, so I'm hoping in this beer, which you can tell me in a minute if you've poured it and maybe we can decide if it's, it's hazy or not, um, or hazy looking, um, I'm wondering if it's going to just be more of a, a round sort of sweet IPA, certainly still with hop bitterness, but, but maybe more of a, dare I say balanced drink. I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure. Maybe we can put all these quotes to the test, but sounds like you've either smelled it or tasted it <laughs> oh, before oh you before you give me yours um i have sort of a cutoff date on the bottom of my can but i believe it says this one was canned on august 18th 21 so just about a month ago is that about right for yours too yeah that's what i have 818 okay, cool uh thoughts um first of all the nose on this beer is tremendous 
It is like walking through a forest filled with trees that are just bleeding sap. Yeah. It is like, man, I can almost smell the the air of Portland uh, smelling this beer. It has got just a tremendous nose. It is absolutely delightful in my nose holes. Yeah. Uh, And then you, you taste it because it smells like a hazy beer. Let's be real. It smells like it could be sweet. It could be hazy. Yeah. Um, this is a tremendously well-balanced beer. Like you were saying, you hope it is. This has hops, smoothness, bitterness, dryness, drinkability with a touch of sweetness, just a dash of malt, but mm-hmm. like insanely drinkable. Like this is, um, this is a really pleasurable beer to drink. Have you tried it yet? Yeah. Well, so the way that Tony Lawrence of Boneyard Beer puts it, which I know we're both big fans of out in Bend, he says that he believes in aroma and hop flavor, not necessarily in bitterness. And right now in the, in the Northwest, IPAs have big aroma, big hoppy finishes, but they're moving away from the dry and bitter IPA that we used to see back in the day, which is mm-hmm. again, yeah, like that's kind of what you expect in a West Coast IPA, certainly in a California, I guess, West Coast IPA. It's your stones, um, Stone is, I don't know, probably the 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 first one that I think of, definitely. Maybe the first to do it. Those giant, almost offensive bitterness yep. IPAs. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Big time. Um, I have tried this, and I agree with you on the nose. It's absolutely overwhelming in a really good way. It it doesn't yeah. it doesn't ta- or smell like it's going to be terribly bitter. Um, and it smells really, really bright and really floral and citrusy and and and, and light and, and lovely. Yeah, and somewhere... Towards the middle to back into this beer, I get like fresh cilantro. Tasting or, like, it or fresh, smelling it? It's tasting it. Uh-huh. Like just like this bright, crispy uh, uh, produce vibe of like a really nice kale or maybe a cilantro that is, it, it sounds terrible. That sounds like it should be a detractor, but mm-hmm. it's really not. It adds this weird vegetal brightness yeah, that's to where the I was flavor throw profile. Vegetal. Yeah, right. Like, whoa. This is one of the biggest surprises of the year for me. Um, I'm, dude, I think Northwest IPAs might be my favorite style. Holy okay. shit. All right. I mean, it's, it's like, that's not surprising. What? Like you, you like a lot of these breweries that we've talked about. Like there, I mean, I really do think this article is worth reading everybody. It's, it's probably like a four to five minute read. Um, but there's references and quotes from, uh, obviously Boneyard and block 15, um, Freem, like we said, there's a bunch of others that I know you're a fan of of their beers. And it kind of makes sense, especially if they're focusing on, let's call it a a subdivision of the classic West coast IPA that emphasizes some of those sweeter, but not new England style IPA notes. Yeah. I mean, and this has everything I want in an IPA, right? And they've really just softened out those rough edges. They've took some of the corners off of it. It's not so shaved down in, in bristliness that it's, it's round. It's like a squared circle, you know. A a square with rounded edges, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. This beer is is tremendous. I was not expecting to be this surprised. This is like, wow, this is one of the best IPAs I've had this year. Um, It is just so brilliantly vibrant on your nose, and that carries through in the whole drinking experience. Like, this this is an exciting beer to drink. And that doesn't happen often. Like, this is a really, really unique thing. Like, I want to go back up to Portland just to go to their brewery now because 
like, wow, I'm massively impressed with volatile substance. And I didn't know really that Northwest IPAs were such a, an acknowledged subdivision, but it makes so much sense. It's kind of the perfect retort to the Northeast IPA, like yeah, the New England IPA. Sure, it's, sure. It is the perfect other side of that coin that represents the style, the culture, the the climate, the, the everything about the Pacific Northwest. And this really is something that feels symbolic of this part of the country. Or that part of the country. Sure. I say this like we're still there. We're, we're there. close. I'm not there. We're close. I'm close. It's just. I mean, I was just in Portland two weeks ago. So yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm blown away by this beer. I absolutely love it. The thing that jumps out to me, or at least has jumped out to me on my first two sips here, is the approachability. Because I think that New England IPAs are totally approachable. There's you're not going to be put off by the bitterness and maybe somebody who's transitioning from certainly like a macro lager, like a, like your, your Bud Weiser, your Coors Light, that kind of thing. This would still be overwhelming, overwhelmingly bitter for them. But for a more, let's say seasoned IPA drinker, this is extremely approachable, but doesn't sacrifice those hot flavors that I really have come to love, which is great. Like I, I agree with you. This is a really, really drinkable and, and a great surprise. Um, I'm, dude, I'm into this too. It's, it's really drinkable. It's, it's, it's sneaky. It came up and I was like, Oh, this like, cause the nose is so intense that yeah. I kind of just assumed that the flavor is going to be a bit daunting or taxing maybe. And it, it just yeah, isn't, it's really well balanced. Yeah. It is unbelievably balanced. And like you said, I thought the nose, it was going to be overwhelming, but it just adds to like the subtle nuance of crispy flavor and brilliant hops that this beer brings to the table like having that over the top nose but then kind of an a subdued flavor that kind of just melds well together it's a really fantastic drinking experience like my god i'm it takes a lot for me to be this impressed and i am i am impressed i tip my hat to this beer in a big way i think my biggest critique is that it's named wrong this is not not in any way, shape, or form a volatile substance. This is this is the smoothest. This is this is a glassy lake at five thirty in the morning. Honestly, this is like, oof. This is just gliding across a glass lake in a kayak with yeah. like a cool breeze in your yeah. face. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Uh, maybe worth pointing out that it won some awards recently. We'll say in twenty twenty one at a couple different places, including the Great American Beer Festival and the Oregon Beer Awards. It took gold uh, under the category American IPA, which I assume there's no subcategory yet for uh, Northwest IPAs, but we'll see. It also won gold uh, at the North American Beer Awards in 2019, and I think probably rightly so. This is fantastic. Yeah, 100%. I'm kind of all in for this brewery. I mean, their first beer was a 9.1, and I am so over the top about this beer. Like, I'm going to have to order a shirt because this beer is a 10. A 10 out of 10 for Johnny. Can this, you, I think you can order a shirt. I checked on their website. Do you know if they ship beers? Uh, not to California. Yeah. I think I'll double check, but I've got a lot of friends in the neighborhood. So I think we'll be able to get, we'll, we'll be okay. Fair we, enough. We'll be okay. Well, but, uh, I'm going to say this is the best IPA I've had all year. Okay. I feel like you said that of an IPA a couple months ago. So I'd love to go back and look and see kind of, maybe we'll have a sort of a head to head face off at the end of the year and see what, what survives. Doesn't matter. But. This one's better. All right. All right. Well, 10 for you. Volatile substance. For me, it's a nine. It's super good. Um, it's great. I, you know, it's, it's a great beer. I won't gush on it too much. I think it's fantastic. There's not too much. I don't love about it. It's really good. 
It's a nine. Why not a ten? I knew you were gonna ask me. Um, excuse me. It's, I only ask you because you ask me every time. As as we should. There's a miss a missing X factor that I'm not sure how to put my finger on. Um there's a little bit of yeah, like I I almost maybe I'll try to put my finger on it or my tongue on it. Um This is getting erotic. It really is. Uh yeah, I, you know, I can't, man. I don't know. It's really good. There's just something missing. And I'm sorry that I can't be more descriptive, but there's just a little something missing. I'm not sure. Tens are hard to well, hard to achieve. I, I agree completely. And uh, I've been stingy. I've been given a lot of nines and nine yeah. twos and nine ones. But when one comes along, you just know it. And you have to just embrace it and be really thankful for the opportunity to even drink it. And seriously, shout out to Belmont Station for them having this as their... Uh, employee or manager yep. pick like this was a tremendous recommendation these guys led me in a really great direction and i'm super stoked uh to have gotten to shop there they're such a great beer store i love that place i also want to throw out one more disclaimer which is that for any new listeners you were just saying sometimes you give out nine ones and nine twos i tend to not get into those decimals so for me the nine is as close as one can get or as close as i can get to a 10 this is almost perfect there's just like a missing mystery thing that it's just i don't it's hard to describe i would say almost impossible so it could be a feeling yeah so for me it's as close as i could get to a perfect beer without being a perfect beer and i've only had a few of those in the past almost five years of this show so nine's a great rating ten's an even better one and that's volatile substance from von ebert so get it if you can let us know what you think let's move in if you're okay with it sir to hot and bothered let's do it let's do it As you mentioned at the top of the show, Johnny Summers, we do have a movie night coming up for our patrons on Patreon, which is Friday, October 1st. Um, first to our patrons, I guess. Once again, if you haven't voted in that poll yet, please do. Um, we will we will purchase your movie ticket. We'll sit you right by us. We can squeeze you in between us and we'll hold your hand or put our arms around you, depending on the type of movie we're seeing. Um, but let us know. We will. You got to let us know by the... Uh, by the end of September, and we will get your ticket, and uh, it'll be a great time. So I'm stoked for that. Cannot wait. Very lastly, and hot and bothered here, October, dude, is going to be a great, great month, hopefully, for movies. You've got the new 007 movie. You've got Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. You've got the Dune remake coming out. Um, mm-hmm. All sorts of stuff. There's many more, but I'm just wanting to just say it's going to be a good movie month. Like I've been waiting. Yes. I don't know. Like the pandemic's been weird. Like theaters have opened and then closed and then movies have been available and not available. And knocking on some wood, these movies I think are pretty solidified in their release dates. So I'm just excited to kind of get back into the swing of big blockbuster, in some cases, artsy blockbuster movies. Yeah. Super stoked. Dune's already opened and I want to say like 17 countries. And I was reading a bunch of reviews on yeah. Reddit, on the movies subreddit. Uh, and it is getting massive praise. All so right, sweet. I feel like there's a lot of user-generated uh, feedback that gives me a lot of hope to be very excited for that movie. Oh, very briefly. Did you happen to think of the uh, the suits they wore in the original Dune when you were watching Nick Cage in uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland? <laughs> I didn't, but that makes total sense. Yeah, uh, Gomez, if you're listening, might get mad that I can't remember the name of that suit right now, but that's what I thought of basically the whole time I was watching Prisoners of the, the Ghost. poop Night. suits. They're not called the poop suits. No, but they are poop suits. <laughs> well, technically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, that's what I got hot this week, man. What's uh, what's going on with you? Uh, yeah, so I've been busy. Work's been insane. Um, I have been delving deep into a lot of heavy music to get me through my days and my driving 
One of my favorite, uh, probably, I would say, it's somewhere between, this might not mean anything to most people listening, mm-hmm. but this record is my favorite, like, deathcore, metalcore, death metal type <laughs> record, okay. probably of the year so far. I love when and you say th- deathcore. And those are three distinctly different genres, and I will gladly get into this with you (laughs) at a different time, but that'd be shit radio. All right, cool. Um, But yeah, a band called To The Grave, uh, their uh, record called Epilogue that came out this year uh, has been quite a gem, and it's been really fun driving around listening to that record, uh, and I like it a lot. So Max, pick a song from that record and play it under what I just said. Done. Consider it played. Um, And then also diving deep into my nerdy roots uh, D2, Diablo 2, Resurrected, the remake, remaster for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Uh, at the time of this airing, will be out. It comes out on September 29th. It is a complete remaster of the original Diablo 2, and it is being released for computer and all the consoles. I'm sorry, it comes and out the 29th? The 23rd. Got it. So in real time, comes out tomorrow. If you're listening on Friday, it came out yesterday. So I am super excited. I am got that pre-ordered. It's going to download tonight at midnight on my PlayStation, and I will be playing it as much as possible all weekend. I'm a huge fan of Diablo 3. Never really played Diablo 2 just yeah, because okay. it's, yeah. when it was originally released in 2000, it was PC only, and I've kind of always been a console guy. Um, but if you play on PlayStation and you want to play video games with me, you should hit me up anywhere you can find me. I will give you my username. We'll be friends. And if you're buying Diablo 2, we can jam through the con- uh, console campaign yeah. together. So I'm super stoked for that. If Max had a PS4, he could play with me, but he doesn't. Yeah. He just has a scooter. So I got a, I should- got a moped, my friend. You should ride your moped to somewhere that sells PlayStation 4s so we can play Diablo <laughs> 2 together. Then my wife can yell at me about two things. Yeah. Well, babe, at least I'm not riding the scooter. I mean, moped. Yeah. No, she uh, she actually was really... She's about to go get... My, I go, I got my... Uh, I'm going to bring it back around to me. Uh, I got my official... I was driving... And I was trying not to drive too much, my moped. But I, I was bopping around my neighborhood illegally for a minute there. Um, yeah. And I got it finally re-registered. And my, my motorcycle permit... Finally. Hell yeah. Uh, and Gianna's going to get hers too. So I was actually just joking about the, uh, the moped. She's stoked on it too. So we, I, you know, she's just, we're just fine. It's, it's fun. It's so fun to drive a moped. How long before you have his and hers mopeds? Uh, I'm hoping soon. It's coming, man. I she, can tell it's coming. She didn't like motorcycles. So, and granted a moped's kind of a pebbles toss from a, from a motorcycle, but it's not, they're different. Um, namely mine can't go on the freeway and mm. mopeds are cute. And motorcycles are intimidating and intense, but mopeds, very cute. You can get coffee on a moped. You can, you can drink coffee on a moped. Yeah. You can, you can play deathcore and slam a shot of whiskey at a dive bar on a motorcycle. It's just a different vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would definitely be more of a motorcycle. Right. And I'm obviously, if anybody's ever heard even one episode of this show, I'm a moped guy. Yeah. So, and she's a moped gal and that's why we work. Um, so I would say plus or minus after the rainy season by like a month. I love it, man. I can't wait. I cannot wait to see you two just mobbing up. That'd be so stoked. I'm trying to get all my friends on mopeds. I do have one critique of your overall thing that's happening. Is it the shorts? Nope. Okay, good. I mean, that is a critique, but you know why and yeah, just be smarter. But, um, 
bro, we need to buy you a cooler helmet. Okay, so that's the that's the helmet Can, that came with the moped. I agree. It, did you know that helmets expire? You probably do know this. Yes, I do. They have a Department of Transportation lifespan. Yeah. You have to get one about every five to seven years, well, I think. Mine expired in 2017. <laughs> it's not yeah. safe. I mean, I mean, it's not not safe, but yeah, they, they advance technology to keep your brain safe. But also, they make helmets that look exactly like yours with cooler visors okay. that are like sparkly gold <laughs> pearl paint. Like, Is that cool? You need something way more badass. All right. Well, people are telling me I should get one that has like full face coverage. Cause that's like the safest version, but I'm going like 25 most of the time miles per hour, maybe 30 though. I have gotten it to go double that. You should probably have a full face helmet, but if you're not going to, I don't, I mean, you don't have to legally. Right. right. So it just depends on how fully safe and over the top cautious you want to be. Right. But if you're going to wear one with the open face with a visor, you should get a cooler one. Or if you get a full face one, you should get a cooler one. There's so many dope helmets out there now like seriously like gold sparkles with pinstripes yeah i mean whatever your style is man, you could just like lean into it and i have friends that do pinstriping i could hit them up oh that's pinstriped yeah we could get it customized like let's do this thing dude that's like the easiest way to pimp out your overall that sounds very cool yeah all right let's look into that that's really great advice thank you yep other than that i mean it's a cool color i would say you should get a, a a helmet that like is close to the same color, but yeah, maybe in like yeah. a sparkle or a pearl and then do some like lime green pinstriping and maybe get some lime green pinstriping on the moped. You know, all my, all my cycling gear is lime green. So I kind of think of that as like workout gear. So maybe not mm. lime green, but like another what color. What about like purple and white is a great, great combo. Yeah, the moped's red. How about red and I white? It, That's I classic. I thought it was like a burgundy. No, it's red. Okay. Well, I mean the classic would be like red and yellow. Red and yellow. Yeah, they go great together. That's a they complement each other beautifully. Well, we can figure all this out at some point. I do want to say really quickly as we sort of wrap things up here that next week, my friend, is our five year anniversary. We will yes. potentially that's insane. I know. Be recording an episode on the actual day. I'm not sure yet. We might. Who knows what's going to happen next week? Sometimes we just skip that and we just go and have drinks together. I don't know what we're going to do. But the point is, five years we've been doing this. Once a week, you and I sit down and talk for you know, two hours basically, and just talk to each other about things that we feel passionate about. And if you have, and I hate that I'm doing this, but it is how I am. And it's how we do this show. If you've been listening for any amount of time, tell a friend about our show. We really enjoy what we do. And if you like it even a little bit, turn one of your friends onto it. It's, it's great that we keep doing it. We hope that we keep doing it for a long time. Uh, and the way to keep that going is by people listening and, and, you know, show some friends. I'm just happy to still be doing it. I, really I, really, I, I mean, I don't care if people I don't, listen. I don't give a shit if anyone yeah. listened ever. It's never been the goal. The yeah. goal was to have this hour of something that we truly care about. It really is both of our passion project. It's never been about making money. It's never yeah. been about fame. Like this has always just been something that we're both. It's a, it's a labor of love. That's why it's easy. And it's something we look forward to. And, Thanks for doing it with me for five years. Yeah, dude. I think we sometimes, we don't, not that we lose sight of it, but we tend to say things like, well, that's why we started this podcast was like, drink good beers and watch good movies. But I think the, I mean, in addition addition to that, kind of, the reason we started it was because you and I had talked about drunkenly one time, like when's the last time you just sat down, phone away and just talked to somebody about stuff you enjoyed. And we were both like, it's been a while. And then we did this and we saw Hell or High Water 
and drank, uh, what do you think, Russian River beers? Fieldwork. Oh, Fieldwork, you're right. And we did it, and we mostly didn't look at our phones except to Google facts about those two things. And we've done many an episode since, so it's been great. I enjoyed it. And we'll talk probably more about it next week, I would imagine. I'll get real nostalgic. We'll tribute the shit out of ourselves next week. <laughs> um, which is all to say, I suppose, that is Johnny Summers. The show wouldn't be what it is today without the support of Bailey Minardi, all of our friends on Patreon, uh, thanks to our supporters at The Handlebar. Um, anything else you want to shout out or thank? No, I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, five years is uh, a hell of a thing, man. Super stoked on it. It's the longest relationship I've ever had. I think you. Is that true? Uh, well, no, I think I've been with my wife longer than that Barely. before we were married. But okay, like, yeah, it's the the most successful drunk plan in history. My God, it really is. All right, uh, that's Johnny <laughs> Summers. That's Max Minardi. Remember, thank you guys. For, oh, sorry for uh, sticking with us yeah. for all this time. Thanks for listening. And Max, what was that? I said, Johnny, tell him what to remember. Yeah, you should always drink beer that makes you happy and watch movies that you enjoy and most importantly. Be excellent to each other because we're all just people trying to get by in this fucked up world. So be nice to somebody today. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.